Welcome to The Slow Crafted Life, a podcast that explores how to craft an intentional, thriving life while still living your environmental and social values. Listen to inspiring stories of people living their values, succeeding at life, doing good in the world, and inspiring real change. This is The Slow Crafted Life. Welcome to The Slow Crafted Life. I'm your host, Sundown Hazen, and today we're joined by Teresa of Bellwether Coffee. Bellwether Coffee is dedicated to making coffee roasting more accessible and more sustainable for the environment in our communities. With the most consistent and controllable roaster available, their customers range from large brands to small neighborhood cafes. These customers are in complete control of their coffee offerings using Bellwether Coffee's electric, ventless, zero emissions coffee roaster and intuitive roasting software. Teresa, we're so excited to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you, Sundan. I'm very excited to be here. Fantastic. And I'm excited because I'm a big coffee fan uh, and consumer. So, And I like technology as well. So it's interesting to see how these two worlds blend together. And uh, But before we get into all of that and what Bellwether Coffee is doing, can you give us a little background on yourself and the role that you play with Bellwether? Sure. Um, yeah. So I'm Teresa. I'm the VP of sales at Bellwether. I'm sort of the first person in the organization to fully take the mantle of the sales hat. Uh, previously, I'd been in the coffee industry for almost 20 years cumulatively. I took a time off in the middle to do a lot of other things, but I started as a barista back in the 90s, not to date myself. Um, I'm from Seattle, so that's kind of like you you had to work at Starbucks, right? They just give you the portafilter when you were a kid. But that was one of the, it's funny because it's easy to sort of make fun of these bigger brands, but it was such an important company for really opening up this new world of coffee to, you know, U.S. consumers. Um, And honestly, when I worked there in the 90s, we did so much, I had to do two weeks of training at the roasting plant before I could work in a cafe. So I learned so much about coffee and for, you know, those early job experiences, it was a really great opportunity to learn about what you did during the day what buttons you pushed, how you pushed them, right, actually mattered. Like they didn't try to make it idiot proof. They wanted you to really have a hand in what you were crafting for your customers. And so I'm so grateful not only for helping me fall in love with coffee, I'm so grateful for that early experience and teaching me about work because I feel like so often our earliest jobs teach us that um, we don't have a hand in it and we just, our job is not to mess it up. And instead I got to really like, take responsibility for what I was doing. So I fell in love with coffee there very young and very fast, but I did take a bunch of years off to do a lot of other things and kind of came back to coffee in 2008, which was a very cool moment to be in coffee. It was the the national conversation was kind of launching. These really sexy cafes were opening everywhere, especially I'm, I'm uh, based in New York. So especially in New York, it was taking off like it kind of hadn't for years. Um, and so it was an exciting opportunity to get back into it. And I felt back in love with working in coffee because of these like sexy spaces and these delicious drinks and this energy that the industry sort of naturally has not to make that a pun Mm -hmm. but but the more I started learning about coffee the more I really fell in love with the whole uh, value stream so all the places coffee comes from all the hands that touch it on its total journey right from farmers and growers and producers and exporters and importers to roasters to baristas and it's one of those few products i think that really it can't exist without thousands of people um working on it and caring about it and the more i fell in love with that piece the realized i realized i was going to be in coffee forever wow so coffee really is central and integrated into so much of your life it sounds like in your your life story this is going to be fun i'm so here. I, I am a big I'm a big nerd and a real like evangelist very even early in my sales career you know I was a little embarrassed about being in sales initially I got back into coffee doing sales for a, a, a hometown hero roaster in New York I've been around for 100 years and I was kind of embarrassed like being at you know cocktail parties whatever telling people that I was in sales I don't know I just had such an idea of like the the slimy sales guy in mind but actually, it's been great. And at that at one of these parties, someone's like, oh, honey, you're not a sales guy. You're an evangelist. Wow. And I really tried to pick that up because I was like, yeah, that's what I feel like. I feel like I really, I, I love the story so much about coffee, where it comes from, how it all happens, and sharing that at every opportunity is exciting. Yeah. I, it, it's a huge promotion. And it's so much more personal and, and has such a bigger relationship, not just with you and the and between you and the product, but you and the people that you're sharing the story with. And uh, that's a tremendous, 
tremendous promotion. Uh, I want to go back to something you'd pointed out about the timing and the experience of coffee in 2008. Uh, as we all know, that was a, a tumultuous time. All right, that was that was our, you know, this generation's yeah. biggest recession so far in the experience with the ups and the downs, <laughs> the extreme downs of yeah. our economy. And yet you're talking about living in that moment uh, as being a critical and an exciting and a motivating time in which this experience with coffee and cafes uh, was blossoming and it reconnected with you. Can we go back to that for a moment? And Put us in that place. Like, what was happening? What was the cafe you were in? What? Who are the people that came? Right? I thought people didn't have any money. Why would they spend it on going out to coffee? Well, that actually is one of those things that I think the timing isn't accidental. Um, so honestly, like this this moment in coffee, we call it a lot of things, but it's frequently referred to as third wave. And I think that titles are always as useful as they are to be evocative, but they're not the whole story. And the third wave probably started more around 2006, 2007, um, but really I think took off in 2008 in part because of the recession. Coffee was a really affordable luxury. You went out a lot less to really fine dining. You went out a lot less just on the town spending money at bars. People traveled less. And so they wanted more... Um, stuff that felt fancy in their daily lives. And coffee is a great example of that. Um, and it's one of those things too, that it isn't just about a sexy beverage, especially the longer I feel like I've thought about how much this means to me in my life. Um, it's not just a, a, a delicious beverage, right? Or a beautiful space. It's about connecting with the people that you're there with. Right? Coffee has always been that culturally. It's the, it's the old coffee houses, right, where, where revolution started because people gathered together and there was true energy in the room when people gather. And then coffee helps amp things up. <laughs> um, so that was kind of the 2008 moment. I think it wasn't an accident in that coffee took off because it became this thing that people really turned to for solace and luxury when times were tougher. It is funny. I started at my job the day that Lehman Brothers failed. So it was kind of a, a very interesting moment in New York history, personally, right? To think about starting with a real job. Because <laughs> <laughs> the economy was crashing. Um, but a lot of things have changed. It, like new com whole new companies like sprung up, gained national popularity, and were acquired, right? In a very short period of time. Like a lot has happened in, in these 10 years or 11 years now. Yeah, yeah. And it's good to take a moment and think about those moments and those experiences and those products and services in our lives that kept us together, brought us together and raised us above the the disaster that was happening around us so that we could get through it, right? It was a moment and we lived through it and the journey continued and we grew from it and something great's coming out of it. So after that, that gives us a good segue into building into today where or I guess not exactly today, uh, but recently. And how did you get to Bellwether Coffee? And what was the inspiration that created Bellwether Coffee? Yeah, so I feel very lucky to have sort of stumbled into Bellwether Coffee. Um, the Coffee Network is a very generous group of, of humans, and a lot of us are very invested in this larger sort of mission-based or values-based work, not just um, fastest way to make a dollar, because it's definitely not that business. And so I was coming off of a project that was really intense and interesting and complicated, but was coming off of that, and Bellwether kind of fell in my lap. And they'd been in development for five years of the idea. Um, Ricardo Lopez, our founder, is such a creative, amazing, imaginative human and really had this love relationship with technology, but also with craft products. He'd spent a lot of time in tech, telecom specifically, and then a bunch of time in wine based in, in California and loved how the wine community embraced technology to help it really enhance their craft, right? How do you use technology to get more information, more data, right? more inputs so that you can tweak things and, and make an even better product by hand. And so he sort of not knowing a lot about coffee was looking at this coffee moment happening um, and all the excitement around it was like, I don't see a lot of application of technology in coffee. Especially at the time, right, there was this move totally backwards where people were reintroducing um, lever espresso machines, so entirely by hand, and everyone was just doing pour overs, right? So that we were totally eschewing machines in order to really focus on ideas of handcrafting, which I think is a really important piece of what we do. Almost all coffee that you drink is picked by hand, right? Interesting data point. Mm -hmm. So that was how Ricardo was thinking about this. Like, and then he was like, I get, I bet people would be 
customers, right, would feel more connected to this whole coffee story if they were could see part of the roasting process, right? If they could see more of the process, because coffee's not going to grow closest to most of its consumers, at least in our country, well, at least for a while. So, right, how do we connect consumers to roasting? And he was like, why don't more people roast in their cafes? And as soon as you learn anything about roasting, you understand why, right? The traditional way of roasting. Machines are big and expensive, and you need a gas line. They take up a lot of expensive retail real estate. You need venting. You need special permits. You need really specialized labor. Um, some of the technology is so antiquated that really it hasn't changed in 100 years. So unless you know exactly what you're doing, not just today, but on a totally different weather day, it, the machine could perform totally differently. Um, so learning all those things, he was like, man, well, if we could make a roaster that was more stable and didn't require any venting, more people could roast in their cafes. And then I think the, the coffee bug bit him from there and he was on the journey, whether he meant to be or not. Um, and yeah, five years later, we won best new product at our, our specialty coffee trade show this last year or this year in April. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's just it really it's just getting started. I mean, five years is a long time, and a lot has been accomplished. But in the grand scheme of things, as a company, it's still very early on. Uh, in we're still very early on. I mean, a lot of years is really just proof of concept. So if this idea that could you roast without any smoke or emissions and can that be delicious, right? It took a couple of years just to answer that question. Mm. Uh, yeah, and then there's still so much further. We know that we can push this vision from even where we are today. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, and we're going to dig into those topics. Uh, to wrap up the story on the company and tie it back into your evangelism, when you uh, recognize or identify somebody that would be interested or benefit from from this machine, uh, how, what's your hook? How do you get them enticed to learn more? And you know, because you have that brief moment, right? Like either you're gonna you're gonna get yeah. them or you're gonna turn them away. So what? How do you do it? I mean, I've enjoyed listening to you speak. But I can, um, you're not selling it to me. I don't have a cafe shop. If I did, I would be getting one. But besides that, uh, when you're out there and you're evangelizing, how do you, how do you get that person's attention? You know, the, the coffee shop's a busy, busy business. As you said, it's not like they're raking in piles of money. They're earning every single dollar that gets dropped in that cup. Uh, so how do you get their person's attention in that busy environment? Yeah, I think this actually, not to make this too much of a story about why I think sales is pretty cool, but um, but that's kind of what it goes back to, is I think that there's a version of salespeople that people really imagine when you're like, you know, elevator pitching all the time, and like, really like, what's the, what's the one-liner, right? What's the hook? And I find it so much more about problem solving, and so before I try to sell you anything, I'm going to ask you, what do you need, mm. right? Well, if you could do one thing different in your cafe that would make it more a sustainable business for you, your life, not just for the environment, but for your life, right? What would that be? And then what's awesome about this solution is that it really is, it has like a thousand upsides for the small business owner and the larger enterprise. And so then it's not hard to connect the dots. But I also think like if people have no desire or interest to roast, I'm not going to convince you that you need this solution, right? If this doesn't solve a problem for you, hey, let's be friends and move on with our lives. That's cool. But I think for most people, when you ask them, what is it that you need to make your business more sustainable? They either need more opportunity for their staff. They need more economic opportunity outside their four walls. They need a little more margin. They need a little more time and they need a new way to differentiate themselves. And we kind of do all of those things. Hmm. We have a customer and one of our very early customers in Texas. And we were on the phone the other day and he was like, honestly, people aren't going to believe me because it just sounds too good to be true. <laughs> But that's been his experience. He got all of those upsides, better margin, more engagement from his staff, external economic opportunity, and a product he's so proud to serve every day. Wow. All right. Well, then uh, how does the machine accomplish all of those things? It's magic. Totally magic. Of course. It's a black and white box and you throw these beans (laughs) in it and it comes out as coffee. (laughs) It's magic. (laughs) It's magic. That's the story. Yeah, so it's it's definitely more complicated, and then it also just sort of took. Luckily, I'm not an engineer, but it, it is pretty complicated in terms of it's a recirculating system. Um, so the stuff that is usually turned into smoke that you have to either burn off right before you just release it, or you just release it into your neighborhood. Um, that part we recirculate, and you have to scrub it really well before you put it back into the drum where the coffee is roasted. Otherwise, your coffee is going to take on that smoky flavor. Um, 
but other than that, it just, a lot of it is about the intentionality, right? Like our goal was to make it so that cafes could roast and that they could roast affordably and they could roast delicious coffee. And then we tried to look at all the other barriers to entry, right? Access to green coffee that is sourced sustainably, um, access to story, right? Where does this coffee come from? Who grew it? How did it get here? Um, roast profiles, all of that stuff, because the technology is so different than a traditional roaster, although it doesn't necessarily roast that differently than a traditional roaster, um, because the technology is so different, it's much more stable and you can, teach people to roast a lot faster than they would on a traditional machine because it's not as influenced by changes in ambient temperature, humidity, or things like that. Mm. I, don't, I don't mean to get too much in the weeds, but I also don't want to be too vague. So help help me make sure I'm answering your question right Yeah. Now. Well, I, what, I'll, what I'll do is I'll pick out something that you mentioned on that is of an inter interest to me. We've got a couple local roasters here in Walla Walla. Uh, I'm pretty sure they don't have your machine. Um, <laughs> however... Something that's been an interest to me and I've been curious about that you alluded to was the sourcing of the beans. So, because um, you have the ability to roast, there's, that's a craft. And in your case, you've, you've made that craft more accessible uh, to people in the business or business entrepreneurs or big businesses, either way. And, uh, and what you said that I picked up on was that by being able to roast your own beans does, and correct me if I'm wrong, and, walk us down this path, does that open up your options as far as how you can source your beans? Is that correct? Is that what you had said? Something along those yeah. lines? Yeah. Okay. So, that's the so some basic stuff about the coffee uh, value stream is that green coffee, so coffee is a fruit, grows on trees. <sighs> Take <Whoa>. that moment. <laughs> and yeah, it's important. So, it, can I count that as one of my fruits and veggies for today? On my five fruits and veggies. No. Darn it. I'm sorry. I know. Because okay. so much happens to it from that fruit stage. The part that, that we consume is called, is actually the seed of the fruit, and that's called green coffee. Once it goes through a couple processes, typically at origin. So you separate the fruit from the seed, you have to dry it to a certain percentage, and then remove all of its protective layering, and it gets packed and shipped to wherever it's going to be roasted. Well, there's normally a couple other steps in the middle, right? But where it's to be roasted. So there's no way for you to consume green coffee. So you have to roast it. But what makes being a roaster special is that instead of, okay, you go to a coffee shop, right? And they may maybe have 10 different offerings of coffees, right? From different places that you could try. Sometimes, you know, you'll go to a grocery store and they'll be look like there's hundreds. But if you look at coffees grown, right? In like 39 countries and even within each country, there's hyper-specialization in different, like, microclimates, different varietals, right? There's different processes. There's so many things that you're, now your options as a roaster, when you look at your potential coffee offerings, right, is in the millions hmm. of opportunities. And so you really have a chance to, like, dial in. But that's also, when you're a small business owner, super overwhelming, even when you're a big business, it's really overwhelming to say, like, okay, I don't just want coffee from Costa Rica, but there's, like, four main growing regions of Costa Rica. Within that, there's thousands of farmers. Within that, there's co-ops. Like, what do I really want? And so one of the things we built into our solution is a green coffee marketplace. And again, you don't have to buy our green coffee. You can buy, work with your current supply chain, whatever works for you. But our marketplace is designed for the smaller entrepreneur that's just getting started and learning about roasting. They've got sort of a pre-vetted menu of interesting coffees and the whole story. And all of those coffees have already been vetted for sustainability metrics that, you know, that we, we didn't reinvent the wheel. We just tried to put some parameters in place so that we could help people make choices that meet their values. Okay. So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that more information. I, that's something I enjoy. And uh, there's always so much more to learn. And every time we turn, there's yet four more corners we can turn down. So you mentioned that there, I mean, the order of magnitude of choices when you're able to roast your own coffee uh, is to a point where it's overwhelming, is what I'm gathering. And your company, the Bellwether Coffee Company, has helped with that in creating a funnel, a marketplace for vetted farmers uh, who are working sustainably and, you know, and, and what, how do you measure, let's, let's start with that. How do you measure the, the operation to vet these people that are on your list? Well, that's the other thing is that there is a lot of coffees of murky, a murky value stream, just partly because it comes from really far away. As much as it's a luxury good for consumers, it's treated very much like a commodity 
right, on the market at large. And so the market doesn't differentiate between growing regions in Guatemala, let alone differentiate between Guatemala and Vietnam. Um, if you look at it straight from a commodity, but if you look at it from a taste and enjoyment and business perspective, there's, there's very different benefits of what people like about it. Mm. I'm not just gotten lost in the weeds, right? The, yeah, sustainability metrics. So we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. What we wanted to do is help make this easier entry for smaller businesses. So we look at um, our partners, whether that's an importer or an exporter, or sort of almost occasionally even like direct to producer um, relationship. And we look at what are the things that are sort of most important to us, but we don't try to push down values. We just try to find partners that are already doing those things. So I never want to go to a relationship and say, you have to do business in this way in order to do business with us. Especially if there's already a long history of colonialism in coffee and let's mm. not propagate that and continue that. Let's instead treat these like partnerships and make sure that we have the same goals and then we can work together on them. And we look for basically environmental stewardship. Does the way that you do business on your farm, right, contribute to the health of your family and your community and your land? Um, uh, we look for projects around gender equity. There's a lot. Um, if you look at the work of most coffee is grown by smallholder farmers, and that often means it's a family operation. That doesn't always mean that the women in those operations are empowered economically. A lot of times they don't have bank accounts in their name. So we do look for, for gender equity projects specifically in communities. Um, and then we look for quality, right? Is the coffee yummy? <laughs> but, but that yummy means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So we do try to always have a range so that any small business who works with our marketplace can find a lot of different things that they work on. But a lot of it is less about like, here's our metrics, tick, 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 and more about here's a, here is all of the information about this relationship. Do you want to engage in that relationship? Yes, no, right? Yeah. And that's being clear about where everything's comes from, how long people have been in business, how long relationships have existed. I feel like sometimes that's a little less dogmatic. There's a lot of dogma in coffee that hasn't necessarily been helpful to all of the stakeholders. Right, I agreed. I've heard a number of different stories and reports and articles about some of the abuses that go on both environmentally and then the labor side and uh, it's it's a big global market out there. We can't control it. And so I really appreciate the approach that you all have taken in attracting people to common values. Uh, and I believe through this podcast and the community we're building with Slowcraft is, is along those same lines, right? There's so many articles and so much attention and limelight on the problems that are out there and then ways that we can dictate how to change those problems and not enough light has been brought to the good that's happening and there's lots of it and then feeding that and giving it the nutrients it needs and the support both monetarily and time and energy and economy into it so that it grows bigger than the problems because they're out there uh, so it's great to see and have you on the show today to share your company and how you're not just a technology company but you've used this technology to empower the crafters of the coffee industry, empower them to make better choices and create a new experience and control more of their business in a, in a, a meaningful way that then also has turned into this marketplace and opened up this door to attract and highlight and showcase the other end of that supply chain that does need more attention. And rather than control it, you're, you're bringing the light and saying, hey, come over here. If, you if this is how you like to operate, you're making great coffee, you're treating your people well, you're growing your business and we're raising you up and you're raising us up, like, come on in, come on in. We've got people for you, I love it. It's just so, so many layers, right? It's that triple bottom line approach. And uh, so thank you. So, so many layers and I wanna touch on something that you just said too, because I think that it's very easy from our seat, not just as Bellwether Coffee, but from our seat as a powerful economic driving consuming country to always point our lens of the problems away from our own home, right? Mm. And look at like labor practices or environmental practices, right? Um, we call it at origin, right? Where coffee comes from, um, producing countries. But I think that that's really ignoring our direct responsibility to things that we control every day. And that is our labor practices and our environmental responsibility. Like cafe operations is actually the single largest contributor to the carbon footprint of a cup of coffee. The cafe operation. So in the cafe. The cafe operation is the single largest contributor to the carbon footprint of a cup of coffee that you buy out in the world. Hmm. Tell me, tell all us more, of, break it down. All of the paper waste, all of the water waste, 
all of the electrical waste. And if you want to talk about uh, labor practices, you're looking at a business model that's built a lot on expendable minimum wage labor. And that is not very productive either, right? So as much as we want to shake our head and tisk tisk labor practices in places like Guatemala, we're definitely not looking in our own backyard. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that this is the other thing that really draws me to Bellwethers, the opportunity for Bellwether, of a Bellwether in small businesses and also in general as a company ethos, is that we're trying to take responsibility for the thing that is easiest for us to take responsibility for, right? The emissions of the roasting process, right? If, if you can't consume coffee that's green, you need a roaster, Roasters then, right, are on this linchpin around the whole industry moves around, but it's entirely run on non-renewable energy. Like something's got to give, right? Instead of just lecturing farmers on more sustainable farming practices, why don't we look at our own use of natural gas, right, or propane or all of these other things? And then why don't we look at the way that we treat smoke if we, we burn it off? That cannot be a, the best way to do it. So... That's the other thing that I'm very excited about. Bellwether, I think, gives an opportunity for the industry to take responsibility for the things that are closest to home, mm-hmm. right? Instead of pushing the problem to things that we're not, we, we have less control over, we can really start making a difference here. And I think that is a very positive way to look at like a, a, a global, well, I won't say it's a problem, right? But a, a global reality that we need to take more responsibility for. We have to look at the impact in the parts of the world and communities that we're in is we're all making those impacts like you're just highlighting yeah. and pointed out that you know even if you're going to the local coffee shop where they treat people well and things are nice and they're done really well and thoughtfully uh, that's where the impact can be made in so many different ways uh, speaking of impact and thoughtful companies um, one thing I've learned and noticed when I talk to people who are part of these young, vibrant, thoughtful companies is that they're very particular in their name choice. And I I picked up on how you called it, you know, when when a company gets the bellwether and they bring it into their coffee shop, uh, there's clearly some meaning and weight. And when you said it, like, wow, bellwether, right? That that means something. So tell tell us more about that. Break that. (laughs) Well, this is what I just, we were just talking yesterday and I actually, this is one of the key stories that I can't remember where the name came from. Isn't that terrible? (laughs) Ricardo Ricardo has this lovely story about dreaming up this idea, right? With one of his old buddies and they, you know, it kind of, the way that ideas happen, right? They come to you kind of in a flash and then they develop and, um, and mutate and change and grow over time, right? Percolate to keep using a coffee pun. But, um, I can't remember the like seed, (laughs) <laughs> idea for the name. I know that it's been around almost as long as the idea has been around, mm-hmm. but we're going to have to get Ricardo on the, on the line one day. That. Let's do that. And clearly, that seed was grown into something within you uh, because you have a strong attachment to it, just the way you say it. So tell us in your own words, what is it? What does I do mean? think right, it's kind of the idea of a, of a bellwether, right, is it's the, uh, it's, the first, it's the first thing, right? It like leads the, mm. it lights the way. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think I think we are trying to light the way. Yeah. Or yeah. a different way. I don't again I, I try not I try very carefully not to be dogmatic. Things are not there's lots of solutions. Um and there's lots of new ways to do things. But I was I was so excited to join the project because I felt like this was one of the first innovations I've seen in, in my almost twenty years of coffee now that really feels like a thoughtful new idea. Like a new approach to something that someone does every day, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like it until, until I had this opportunity, so I'm so grateful. Uh, how about let's highlight some of those people that have been using it and that are using it successfully. You mentioned that first early customer, I think it was in Texas, if I remember right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, tell us about, just a couple, tell us a couple more. Tell us more about that person. Um, what, was, what was the deciding factor that they brought this in for? You mentioned those four, uh, criteria that the bellwether uh, amplifies in their businesses. Um, so tell us about those people yeah. that, that made the decision well, and what they're like. 
Sure, sure. We've been really lucky in that we've had a lot of people, even people who didn't sign on necessarily to have one in their cafe or in their business. Um, we've been lucky and we've also intentionally um, solicited a lot of feedback from the larger coffee community, lots of coffee businesses, lots of coffee friends, right? Like, tell us what you think. What do you think about this from the from very early design stages? Um, Kimberly is our uh, VP of marketing and she's been with the company from a very the very, very beginning. I think she's like employee too. And she has always focused on human-centered design. So how do we really make this super usable for people? So I feel very lucky that we've had the contributions of lots of people. And then our early partners are really awesome because they took a, are taking a, not a big chance on us, but they definitely are, are willing to like hold hands together and help build a better solution over time, which is fantastic. So let me give you some highlights of a couple of them. So my, our friends in Texas, um, George Coffee in Coppell, Texas, was really excited because he was looking for um, kind of all those things. He was like, how do I improve my margins? How do I make a product that I'm as proud of or more proud of? And how do I keep my my staff and my community really engaged in what we do? Because staff retention is a big deal if you're paying attention, right, to, to your labor numbers. Um, and so, yeah, so he probably took maybe nine months from when he first heard about it and signed up to actually get his roaster. Uh, now things are moving much quicker, but there was a, a delay from idea to manufacturing. Um, and so he's had it for a couple months now and has been rocking and rolling and been really, really happy. Like he said, he, he sort of had idea of all the things that would really work, but it's worked even more. And this idea about staff engagement, like they feel so much more connected because you don't just take one specialized roaster to operate the machine. Literally anyone in your cafe can be an operator. There's certain people who are like designers, right? How do you build a profile or how do you select green coffee? But anyone can be an operator and roast coffee. And so because so many people feel like a part in it, the way that they sell it to guests, they've got so much more enthusiasm for their own coffee. Um, and I have another one of our earliest partners in, in Oakland called Hive, the place to be. And they were super excited because they wanted a cafe for the whole reason to be like a real place in their community. Like they found there were a couple and they found that they were always going out of their neighborhood to go to coffee. And they were like, why don't we have a cafe in our neighborhood so that our neighbors can all meet here? And their space is definitely that for their neighborhood. It's really a beautiful meeting place in that way. And they wanted, again, like a roastery that is an expression of their community and something that the whole community kind of participates in. So they're looking at partnerships with local schools and other local businesses and things like that to, to kind of share in the wealth of their roaster. Mm-hmm. which is really neat. Um, and I've got, yeah, we've got kind of a range of people, but those are to me the, the two biggest themes. There's almost always an underlying economic benefit um, for, for probably 90% of the people we talk to, but a lot of people it's these other it, less tangible, but still heart very economic benefits that, that kind of seal the deal. Um, we were just meeting with a new cafe in Indianapolis. They're not new. They're new to us, that they're going to get a roaster in a couple weeks. And they were super excited about this idea about opportunity for their staff. Like, how do they keep their staff engaged um, in their business, learning new things and engaged with the product to help, you know, push it even more. Mm-hmm. So how many machines are out there? How many bellwethers? How many bellwethers? Uh, there's 25 bellwethers in the world today. Um, and we've got about 100 pre-orders. Oh, wow. Exciting. How fast are you manufacturing them at this point? How many can you do? Right now, yeah, we're making almost one a day. Um, we're also still innovating, right? So there's like little design changes here and there, which are going to slow down manufacturing, right? Um, and then speed it up again. But we've been getting great feedback from all of our current um, trial partners and implementing that feedback pretty quickly into the design. For manufacturing, it's a pretty quick design turn. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my first foray really working into hardware, and I understand why it's really hard. <laughs> Our hardware is really hard. Um, yeah, but I think we've been very lucky and everyone on the team is so dedicated to making it work and making it right for our customers that I think part of the reason why we've been able to move pretty fast. Awesome. You mentioned that it's accessible for anybody in the coffee shop to operate it. What are, what are some of the features that make that possible? Yeah. So if you look at traditional roasting, it is, um, kind of energy inefficient on purpose. There's been... Or not on purpose, but just that's how it was designed. Not a lot of innovations gone into fixing that problem. And so there's been a couple innovations, and I think we should nod to them. But in general, it's like a big 
round piece of metal, right? Gas flames. You heat up the air, you heat up the metal, you throw beans in it, right? And you see how it goes. And so that's why it's difficult for anyone to just walk up and do because if it's been on for an hour versus on for four hours, the metal and the heat are totally different. If it's really humid today and really cold and dry tomorrow, again, the air is going to be different, right? So all of that's going to affect how the coffee roasts. Our machine, because it's recirculating, it's closed loop. So again, the weather doesn't affect it, whether it's the first roast or the 10th roast doesn't affect it. Um, and then the, pro the profiles are, are sort of predefined. So you can use our profiles, right, created by experts, or you can start um, experimenting and innovating on your own in your shop, which is also the part I'm the most excited about. The more people that start roasting who are new to roasting, the more kinds of roasting we're going to get to see, which I think is going to be a great benefit for the whole like world. But um, once those, once that profile has been designed, um, you basically can lock it in and then anyone can select the coffee that needs to be roasted, loaded in the hopper, make sure everything is set up and hit start and then walk away. And that is is unique. Like and the machine actually tracks the profile exactly. Yeah, and I, I see in the pictures that there there's a glass. I, I assume it's glass, but a viewing chamber, so you can actually see the beans changing yeah. uh, through that process. So another way to keep people connected to to the process and and what's happening. Definitely. All the right. The first couple that were in the our very early partners in Oakland customers were like, "What's that new dryer?" <laughs> <laughs> So I can do my laundry while I'm drinking my coffee. <laughs> but it is really like customer or people always comment on it. Like they always have a question for the staff and want to know more. And I think that's a great piece of customer engagement. Yeah, it's very striking without being over, uh, what's the word, technological. I mean, it's it's future thinking for sure. Um, and looks like it would blend Thank into you. multiple environments. So Thank talk you. to us about flavor taste. Right, you've introduced a new way of creating the beans, the the roasted coffee, uh, and and as you had mentioned, and we've talked about a number of times, that taste is very personal and is a key part of the experience. So, how do we make sure? How did how did you make sure? What is it? I know you did some testing. Talk to us through the taste yeah, of so was, coffee in a bellwether. Yeah, that was the the two key tenants, right? How do you really roast with zero emission, zero smoke? And then how do you roast delicious? <laughs> and that is personal though, right? So we're not dogmatic about this is how you roast coffee. It's the only way to do it. But we wanted to make sure that you could roast a range of styles in this machine. So we've done uh, blind comparison tasting to other traditional, like well-established roasting manufacturers. And we think we can pretty well mimic any of those styles. A, a user could mimic any of those styles in the bellwether. So you wouldn't necessarily say like, oh, this tastes like it's roasted on a bellwether compared to roasted on a well-known roaster manufacturer that I'm not gonna name drop. Um, that is cool. The other piece of this though that I think is fun is that it allows really individualized operations, right? Like our friends in Texas or our friends in Oakland or our friends in Indianapolis to to keep mucking with the flavor profiles and, and changing them over time. So it's not static. Like they're just gonna, this is how they roast the coffee. Every week they can try something slightly different if they want to and keep changing that flavor. And again, the more people who have a hand in the crafting of a, an idea are gonna create more kinds of variety, right? Like years ago, there was really only a few big roasting companies. Years before that, there was tons of little roasting companies. And then there was this mass consolidation and there was a few big roasting companies. And then that kind of split up again. And now there's tons of little roasting companies. But now there's going to be millions of little mm. roasting companies. And they're going to start taking different approaches and learning new things about heat and, um, you know, over time changes the effect of the beans. I'm very excited to see that, especially people who've never roasted before. And like, how are they going to approach this? What are they going to want to experiment with? What are we going to end up with? It's going to be fun. Yeah. But there is such a wide range of potential in coffee. And it, it is never all decided at one moment. I think that's the other thing that's, to me, so amazing about how this really does connect us as a world. And that how it's grown, where it's grown, when it's picked, how it's processed, all of that totally matters. You can't change that later. Um, how it's roasted again, totally changes it. But then how it's prepared totally influences it as well. And so it's never one hand that like makes a statement about the coffee. It's a collaborative process all the way through, even if those people don't know each other and do it on purpose, it always is. And that, that part, I mean, it just will never get old to me. 
I literally, every time I have a cup of coffee, I literally think about where it's from. And it's like my four minutes in that place. Right. It, mm -hmm. It's awesome. That is really powerful. And I hope my wish is that more people as they're listening to this show and think about that <laughs> and broaden their understanding of how coffee gets into their cup, that they can take that moment, you know, and really be present in that moment with that coffee cup and everything that went into it. Um, so speaking of the larger industry, uh, aside from getting a bellwether machine to roast their coffee, what are some other things that the traditional roaster could be doing uh, from your experience and understanding to have a more sustainable practice? I mean, I do think that we're in relationship with our value stream, right? So where your coffee comes from is, a, is your partner in the business. It's not, they're not a vendor. Um, and even if you want to call them a vendor, right, your, your relationship is really tied. And so looking at sourcing practices is super important. And a lot of companies do a great job on this. And a lot of companies who you would not think of do a great job on this. I think that's important. But then I also look a lot more about what's in our backyard, right? What are our labor practices in our cafes? What's our, um, you know, waste reduction plan? How are we, how are we going to get rid of... Uh, single-use items. It's not just about the plastic straws, people. It's a lot bigger than that, right? When you buy a cup of coffee to go, it's like a cup, a sleeve, a lid, napkins. If you use like single-serve sugar packets, right? Mm -hmm. Like looking at all of those pieces and, and how your business, <laughs> stir sticks, mm -hmm. like how your business takes responsibility for all of your waste is crucial. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's it's not going to be easy, but we got to do it, right? Like, if we just did the easy thing, we would definitely just be throwing uh, trash out the window again and, like, not even bothering to wait for a garbage can. So, <laughs> Oh, the good old days. <laughs> yeah, the good old days, right? But let's, yeah. let's focus on that. What can we do in our backyard? But I think both are equally important, and it's too easy to focus on one and then pat yourself on the back and totally ignore the other. Mm -hmm. um, but we're all in communication. We're all literally tied. So how do we make that more equitable and responsible and forward thinking? Yeah. All right. Well, let's turn the coin on this topic and look at the consumer. Uh, so, you know, so much of our economy, especially in America, uh, is driven by the demands of the consumer. And so until we collectively coffee drinkers do something, the industry may not respond. So what are some things, what, how can you inspire the, what are some things we can do and inspire us as a coffee drinker to, to do those actions to make a more sustainable coffee shop? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's like very concrete things and there's very high level things. And if we start, if we start with the high level things, I think it's really nice to take that moment, right? And really remember that what you're, what you're guzzling back in the first thing in the morning comes from people, the person who served it to you, if you go out for coffee, right? Um, or if you make it at home, like the person who roasted it and bagged it and where you bought it from, right? That's a real person. <laughs> there's like a whole line of people all the way through if you can, and places. And if you can take a moment to acknowledge all of that, it just makes it easier to not just throw something in the trash when you, when you can really envision all of those hands and all of that work. And then there's really concrete stuff, right? Like single-use products, like bring a cup. Especially like I don't, I don't drive. I live in New York, so I'm, in, I'm on foot a lot. But I keep a mug in my bag. It's easy enough to get that refillable. And if I don't have my mug, I've got a reusable sleeve, right? It's very cute and small and easy to reuse. Like, you could keep it in your pocket. Like keep, look at, look at all of the things that you consume um, and make sure that they're not single use. And then it's silly, right? But ask cafes, if you're a, lo if you're a regular at your local, ask questions. Where does your coffee come from? What is most important to you as a business? Um, how can I as a consumer help your business run with less waste, right? Do you need pressure on the city to get recycling in here? It's amazing to me how many cities still don't offer recycling, let alone compost pickup. Um, mm. Composting is huge, right? 40% of the food we produce in this country goes in the garbage. That is whack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what, a, what a waste of, of resources. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think it's, and it's not, again, it's not, easy but it's not rocket science you don't have to redesign a machine that you know a roaster that doesn't smoke <laughs> you have to bring a mug with you it's yeah. the, and it is the, the little things start to move the needle yeah but i also you have to stop ever being self-congratulatory 
Because as soon as we pat ourselves on the back for not using a plastic straw, we throw away 10 napkins. Like, it's just human nature. The minute you're like, oh, solve that problem. You, <laughs> you, you Win for the year. Yeah. Put that <laughs> yeah. on the fridge. Um, when A couple of things on that note, uh, on those actions. When it comes to bringing your reusable cup, so especially in America, the, the land of regulation, um, we're in a, a food business. And so what are some things as a consumer wanting to bring in a mug that I should be aware of or do to ensure that on the business end, they're not freaking out about, you know, germs or, you know, things like, <laughs> what am I bringing behind the counter? You know, am, am I going to get other people sick? <laughs> that, totally I'm, fair. Yeah, um, I'm a too. Really <laughs> yeah, no, that's actually a very good question that I hadn't thought of from that perspective. But most cafes are really set up for it. Um, even back in the early 90s, Starbucks was incentivizing you to bring your own mug, right? And we mm. would hot rinse them out for people behind the counter. And you don't marry people's coffees so it's not like your mug that you bring in touches someone else's drink right mm -hmm. they're not pouring back and forth so i think that that is not a it's not a health concern for sure okay. and then there's just things about being polite right if you're going to bring them a really gross mug you've been keeping in your car you know it's very nice to ask them to wash it for you not not <laughs> demand that they wash it for you <laughs> but again if you look at most of your uh, most of the people who work in, in these cafes, right, are going to be sympathetic and, and excited that you brought your own mug and that you care enough about it. But you still have to be nice to the people who work at shops, right? Mm -hmm. like, or, again, you want your coffee. <laughs> you should be nice to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Agreed. You know, it seems self-evident to people who practice that way. But sometimes I also find I need reminded. Um, so thank you. Oh, same. I mean, I have the shortest fuse ever when it comes to car rental uh, counters. <laughs> yeah. I need to be reminded constantly that those people are basically the same as anyone who works in a cafe. But I have to, rem I have to it's a conscious effort. <laughs> it is. It is. You know, it, we all have fuses and they get lit. All right. So, yeah. Yeah. Get your extinguisher ready. Um, another point you probably brought out on the coffee shops is the composting. And I'm a super compost nerd. Um, how many coffee shops are throwing away their coffee is is composting or getting green waste a, a common practice or is that something that often has to be helped or assisted oh totally has to be helped or assisted a lot of times regulations for small businesses actually hamstring them so it's harder to like donate excess food um and other things about waste streams i mean i, I really just talked to a business owners into yeah, I think they were in Michigan, so not Detroit, but another city in Michigan this weekend, at, a, um, at an event, and they were talking about how their city doesn't offer recycling. So if they're going to recycle the plastic, or the plastic but glass, right, they've made intentionally use, like, glass water bottles um, that they sell, if they're going to recycle them, they have to collect it all and then drive it to, like, a central recycling place. Mm -hmm. Like, that's unacceptable, right? We we need to push on our, our municipalities to offer these services, right? There's garbage pickup. Most places aren't mm -hmm. trucking their own garbage. So recycling should be like an alternative stream because it will save money in the long term. It's less stuff going in the landfill, mm -hmm. right? Well, yeah, but there is, it, it's not a, it's not a shut case, right? Like no. every really different, every municipality is really different. Getting compost in your business is complicated, mm -hmm. more complicated than it should be. And there's so much of coffee waste, um, any any food business that is compostable that would save a lot of of landfill space for sure and money yeah do you do you think a lot of coffee shops would be well actually for, i'm gonna hold that question and i'm gonna make a comment about recycling because that's something that's been on my mind and i've been reading a lot about the last couple of years that ecosystem has really been disrupted uh because it like yeah. the coffee industry it's a global chain of events that happens and and when we yeah. want to look at taking responsibility i think it's also been like when we throw away that or we stop using straws we're like okay hey i recycled um but not realizing that much of that recycling has gone to just become another fill in another country uh where people yeah. live in it um and so how do we you know this will be a whole nother show and maybe we can get some guests on here on that topic is how to bring back how to close that loop 
uh, in the supply chain of recycling so that we can localize it in a way that reproduces and recreates in a, in a way that is beneficial, creates good jobs, creates products that are necessary, uh, and close those loops so we don't have to ship off the waste and have it yeah. garbage or become a new island in the Pacific, um, but actually recreate yeah. stuff here at, here at home. So I just wanted to touch on that no, briefly. About that for sure. Um, and reminds me, another one of our early customers has a zero waste cafe. They have no product that they sell you comes in a single use item. Who's so when that? you buy a coffee, they're in Denver. It's called Unravel. They're new. They're great. And one of, yeah, when you buy a cup of coffee to go, it's served to you in a glass jar. Yeah. And if you bring it back, uh, then you get like a deal on your next cup, right? But if you don't, you own a new glass jar. Congrats. <laughs> yep. Get ready to make some jam. Uh, so as a gardener, if, if a gardener goes into a coffee shop, assuming that they probably don't compost their, their grounds, their spent grounds, uh, are, would most coffee shops be open to filling a bag or something if the gardener is taking some responsibility on that and they just do it under the counter? Like, or is that I would, say never, I would say it never hurts to ask, right? Yeah. This is part of the relationship piece that I think is so Im implicit, but it's nice to make it more explicit, right? And that as a customer, you have a relationship to this business. So ask, ask questions. Mm -hmm. okay. um, but yeah, I don't, I can't speak for all coffee shops, but I know that um, a lot of, there's at least someone there who definitely gives a shit and <laughs> is interested can I say that? Shoot. Um, there's definitely someone there who, who wants to help. <laughs> That's okay. We won't fault you for that. Although I think you're the first guest to use an explicit uh, word. It's okay. Some, you know, be, there's a lot of firsts. Be, uh, That's okay. It's okay. Uh, the, uh, let's change topics. I think that was good. We covered a lot, a lot of points there, both on the industry side and on some personal responsibility we can take as coffee drinkers and purveyors. Um, let's uh, get into your life a little more. Uh, aside from being the VP of the amazing company, Bellwether Coffee, what else do you do for fun and how do you find balance in your life? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's always the, not struggle, right, but it's always the um, investigation. Where, where is the balance? So I really love my work and I don't feel like that's a bad thing. I do a lot of work for fun. <laughs> um, and that isn't like, because anyone's asking me to, I just truly enjoy it. Like every one of these companies that we get to connect with, right. Or people in the industry that we, that I get to connect with personally is really meaningful. So that is very fun. Um, but I do other things too. Um, I have a cute, tiny dog, I'm a new dog owner. And that is exciting. And um, I was listening to some other of your shows and thinking about this question too, because I get always nervous when it's about me. Um, but I do, I like to bake, I make bread. Um, and I read a book a couple of years ago that made a huge impact on me. So I bought a grain grinder and I actually make my own flour. Awesome. Uh, and that is will, very fun. Yeah, <laughs> tell, I, I keep coming across ads for the local mill grinder, you know, or the personal grinder. And that's, that's on one of my lists. <laughs> It is a whole new world. Like fresh ground whole grain pancakes are actually the most light and delicious thing. Mm. Like you would think, right? We always think of whole wheat or whole grain as really heavy. No, not true, friends. Mm. It's light and delicious. And there's just like coffee or any other, right, agricultural mm. product, there's so much variety. Like different kinds of wheat taste totally different. There's different kinds of grains, right? It's it's a fun rabbit hole. What are, Requires what are some than I am, but yeah. yeah. What, what are some of the grains you've discovered in that process? Um, it's a very common combination right now, but I'm really going into the rye and chocolate rabbit hole. So I've been trying to perfect this rye chocolate cake that is has no sugar, um, is totally whole grain. It's basically chocolate cake that's good for you and <laughs> tastes like chocolate cake. Wonderful. Really, yeah, that's super exciting. Um, and then, yeah, different kinds of wheat, right? Like winter wheat and spring wheat are different. And so they bake differently mm -hmm. and mucking around with that. I'm no expert. I'm really entry-level novice, but I like to muck around. Yeah. And it's fun. Like I know so much about coffee. It's fun to kind of treat these other things as true hobbies where I'm like, I'll never perfect it. It's great. Yeah. It's so fun to play. <laughs> and it'll be different next year. You know? Yeah, it'll be totally different. Next year. Uh, where do you source yeah. your grains? 
I feel like it, it's a cool moment in grains in that local grain economies are popping back up, right? For a while as a country, we really centralized and grew all of our grains in the center of the country. Um, and now, but lots of other regions are really good at growing grains. They just stopped doing it because we doubled down, right, as a food system on centralized supply. Um, so there's a local project called the Local Grains Project in New York. So I can actually go to the farmer's market and buy local grains all dried up and done. Mm -hmm. And then they've got great tips about like, hey, this is going to be great for pastry and this is going to be better for bread. Like they know a lot about it, which is pretty fun. Oh, so exciting. And so much like the coffee experience, it sounds like. Yes. So, uh, so you're in New York. The company's in Berkeley. Is that right? Headquarters? Yeah. Do you ever get yep. out to Berkeley? Yeah, I'm there at least once a month. And then now I'm kind of following our customers. So I'm pretty much everywhere. We either have a bellwether or are planning to put a bellwether. Awesome. Uh, next time you're there, have you heard of Pie Ranch? No. They're on the coast uh, near Pescadero. So go out Half Moon Bay and go south. Um, yeah. They are bringing back heritage wheats. Uh, so they, they do all the pie stuff. I mean, it's pie ranch. They have some events. They'll have barn dances and stuff. And they're just a fun family. They're doing great work. They're growing uh, not just food, but their company and, and great jobs. And uh, I've been there a couple times and it's fun. And as a, a grain person, it sounds like somebody you should connect with when you're out there. That is actually one of my, uh, when you talk about balance, right? One of my road habits that I've been trying to cultivate is not just going to the town, going to the meeting, getting the work done, um, but make sure you go find something else in town, right? So the oldest bar. Um, I saw a moon tree in Indianapolis that a colleague turned me on to, which was super cool. And then trying to find these local bakeries that are doing whole grain stuff for local grains. That's like definitely a, a passion project. You eat a lot of cookies and bread <laughs> when you do that as a passion project, but it's pretty fun. <laughs> it could be worse things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, are there, what's your favorite thing about working at Bellwether Coffee? I feel like we really have a shared mission and it's not just about uh, make the best roaster, although that's definitely there, but we have a make the best roaster, make the best company. Um, I know that a lot of people always say the best thing is the people, but I, I really mean like the way that everyone contributes to the company it's not just like they're all super nice and i love hanging out with them the way that everyone contributes to the company is really meaningful um and everyone works on that piece which is really nice um and something that was sort of new for me i came in as like the skeptic of like culture like i'm a cynical new yorker right being like oh all these california companies and their focus on culture and it's oh, really it's true. true like a better culture makes a better product makes happier people makes happier customers <laughs> well really you're in a business that is culture is a sun piece of it you know as you yeah. talked about earlier uh in in 2008 and just how central it was in dire situations it's great in celebration situations there's all this craft this individuality this change this dynamic environment and product uh that is really important and key to for me as a, a great experience life yeah so awesome. yeah this has been so much fun Teresa, I really oh, appreciate our conversation, so but I'm not going to let you go without asking you a few more personal questions in the speed round. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. All right. Oof. What is your favorite blend of coffee? Oh. <laughs> I know. Like, let me say, what is it this week? What is it this week? <laughs> well, I have a real soft spot for coffees from Honduras. I always have because there's such wild variety. Um, their microclimates in that country are really diverse. There's tons of different varietals. Um, yeah, so so I'm almost always looking for whatever I meet a new coffee company. If they have a Honduran coffee offering, I always try it because I'm like, oh, I gotta try that. Mm. Um, but we have a new coffee from Burundi that is delicious. I don't I don't know the whole backstory on it because that's not as tied to what I, I've been doing on my daily these days, but. Um, I know the woman who brought it to us has does some great work in Burundi. Uh, works with like women-owned mills. Um, yeah, does a lot of great work. So Burundi coffee is also really exciting. Awesome. But there's so many good coffees; it's hard to choose. It really is like what day is it and what's your mood. Yeah, I, I got to take a detour off the speed round though, because something just popped up as you were describing that that uh, I think is a very relevant question, and um, which is. Have you personally gone out and visited the coffee uh, farmers or some of these places, Honduras? Yeah. Like, 
Yeah. So not, yeah, not uh, on behalf of Bellwether, but yeah, I've spent a bit of time traveling. Um, and it was, yeah, it's complicated, but it's really interesting. It was one of those things where you intellectually understand coffee's a fruit grows on trees picked by hand mm-hmm. has all the stuff that happened to it, but seeing it just was next level. And then seeing it in every different country, even within the same country in different sized scaled operations. Um, it's pretty amazing. Like, the truly handcrafted work of coffee before it even gets to our country where we're going to roast and then handcraft it mm-hmm. seven more times um, is remarkable and yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, you got to take there's us also there. Long, I've, I've... There's long, yeah. There's a long uh, history in there though. That's also very unfortunately opportunistic and colonial. You know, there's a lot of like coffee companies that will go to Costa Rica or Honduras just for the photo op. Um, and then we use a lot of pictures of brown people to sell stuff, and that's really unfair and not honoring your partner. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important to kind of uh, think about why you're going somewhere um, and who's benefiting and who's paying for it and, and all of those things. But I feel very lucky to have got, had that opportunity and, and tried to make some key business decisions around why those trips happen. Yeah. Uh, that I participate in, yeah. Yeah. I uh, had the opportunity through um, a volunteer service program at San Jose State uh, to go to El Salvador for a month. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. El Salvador is gorgeous. Oh, it's so interesting. And and there, we were up in a small volcano town um, for most of it. And, of course, we go walking, and, of course, there's coffee growing there. And that was the first time I'd really seen it, aside from Hawaii, which I think is more corporate. But you go there, and it was really just part of, in most cases – just part of the landscape. You're walking around these trails and like, oh yeah, right in between this jungle, like here's three rows of coffee plants that they go on. And of course they had some clear cut paths as well where they had huge plantations like a vineyard, but so much of it was just part of it. So I can imagine I, how much work goes into it as you talked about, they're all hand-picked. There's no machines driving around these things. There's people with sacks and they're going through and they're in the jungle and they're climbing over branches and trees and there's animals and bugs and yeah. Really steep. Climbs. I've seen hillsides in like Nicaragua and Peru, or I don't know how they pick them. I mean, it's so steep. It is just wild. And another crazy piece is that it doesn't all ripen on one branch at the same time. Mm. And if you pick unripes, you taste it all the way through the brewing process. Mm. And so you have to walk that landscape sometimes seven times a harvest to wait for them to ripen before you pick them. Wow. <laughs> Wow. All it's right. incredible. Yeah. Did you get I, to taste coffee cherries someone? That's the most important thing you get to do. Did you get to try one? What's that? When you were in El Salvador, did you get to taste a coffee cherry? I don't believe I did that. I definitely what? drank a lot of local coffee and some papusas. You gotta go back. You gotta I do. Go back. I do. I do. Uh, it's a <laughs> tremendous country uh, and tremendous, amazing, beautiful people. Um, Yes, thank you. I'll put that back on my list. <laughs> on your list. It's, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that was a fun detour around the world real quick. Uh, back to the speed round. How many cups of coffee do you drink through a busy day? Yeah. There's been different hats I've worn in coffee where I have cupped. That's like a formal tasting process. Um, mm. like, five, oof, like 60 cups Whoa. a day. You only you only take a small bit, right? But it's a lot of coffee. Um, but at this in this world, really, I like casually drink one and a half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm visiting people, like uh, you know, one of our our partners, or you know, visiting cafes to see if there's going to be a, someone who's interested in the bell in the mix, I'll drink more coffee. But yeah, one and a half cups. Why go nuts? Savor every every sip. There you go. Yeah, so much when you understand what goes into it that you can savor. If you could live anywhere in the U.S., where would it be? New York. New York. You're there. I love it. Every time I travel, I'm like, oh, could I live here? This would be fun. What would my life be like? Right? All of this. And then I get home to New York, and I'm like, I love it here. So big and dirty. Expensive. <laughs> which which part of New York? Because I, I know that it's a, it's a little different depending on which part of the city you're in. Yeah, I've lived all over in the city. I've been here for almost 20 years, but I live uh, in Brooklyn currently near Prospect Park and the Brooklyn Museum, and it is just rich and vibrant and alive all the time and big and dirty too. And I love it. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> uh, what if we open that up to the world? Would you, would you trade New York for somewhere else? 
it's too hard to know, man. Mm. I really, no matter where I go, I can imagine living there and I can really build a whole life fantasy. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's hard to know. But I was just visiting Paris where I lived very, very, very briefly many moons ago. And it's a magical city. But I really love cities. I think I either would want to be in a city or totally in the country on a farm. Um, no in between world for me. I've actually, I'm 40 and I've never owned a car. Really? Yeah. I know how to drive. I've driven plenty, but I've never owned a car. Huh. That's awesome. It feels very isolating to live in a car, right? Like as part of your day. Yeah. Yeah. And all that climate control everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> like, you yeah. Have to, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. This is so much fun. Okay, a couple more questions. How about a book, podcast, or TV show that you're excited about recently? Recently? Well, I always go back to, to Chef Dan Barber's The Third Plate um, because I, I read that book years ago when it came out, but it has never stopped like impacting my life choices, right, or sort of the way that I think about it. Um, that was a great book. And then I just read Americana, and I'm going to butcher the author's name. Um, but that was a beautiful novel, like this really rich immigrant story experience um, about race in the U.S. And that was really beautiful. I really I try to read a novel for every nonfiction book because otherwise you can lose sight of that. But yeah, I, spend, I try to spend more time reading um, on planes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that. A benefit of flying around. Yeah. All right. So uh, where can our guests find you if they want to hear more about your coffee evangelism philosophies or uh, Bellwether Coffee itself? Well, I would actually just turn them to Bellwether. I'm pretty uh, pretty subtle on the socials. Um, I'm on Instagram, but very, very rarely. Uh, and same thing with Facebook. More, more. I feel like you're going to see much more from Bellwether about what we're up to and what I'm super passionate about. And as we as we expand, right, the number of Bellwethers in the world, there'll be more stories to tell. And I'm very excited to be a part of that. Hmm. That would be a fun thing to see on the website too, uh, as more people, like you said, yeah, there's all this diversity, and who knows what they're going to come up with, and, and a way to see that and experience it, and plan trips, right, for the coffee. We're, we're, working on, we're working on that, like the interactive map and then kind of the customer stories. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Ooh, I think we just got some good future information. <laughs> That'll be good. <laughs> we'll be paying attention for sure. And we'll link to all of those wonderful things in the show notes. And Teresa, again, I just really am so grateful to have you on the show today and your honesty and your openness and your transparency and your passion, your deep, deep passion and such broad knowledge about coffee. Uh, even I've learned something from it. And I like to know, I think I have a lot of information, but I've got even more today. Uh, and I will be enjoying my next cup of coffee in a whole new way. Thanks to your stories today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Sundown. I really, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for the opportunity. My pleasure. If you're interested in having more conversations like this of your own, you might want to check out our community on Facebook. The group is called Slow Crafters Living a Triple Bottom Line Life. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and consider writing a review for us on iTunes. It'd be very much appreciated and share this episode with one of your coffee-loving friends. Thank you. Have a great day.